Welcome to Level Up with Lilith. Um, I have a special guest today. This is one of my favorite relationships uh, because I get to nerd out on audit and tax conversations despite being CEO of a tech company. So um, I have Jason Melillo. He is the CEO of Cross CPAs. He has a lot of experience in consulting related to tax and audit and, and other parts of the business. And we get the pleasure of being a client of theirs as well, which, you know, once in a while, it's nice to sit down and open up the books and have those nerd out conversations and figure out what the rest of the plan is for the company. So Jason's been very important in that aspect of our conversations and I would love for him to introduce himself, maybe talk about your past and how you got to here and then we can go from there. Sure, well first of all, thank you for having me here today. This is uh, something that sounded like a lot of fun. We'll hopefully uh, have listeners that are awake by the time we're <laughs> We're finished talking and nerding out on accounting. We'll try and keep it to a, a level that's maybe interesting to people outside of the, the CPA world. But uh, sure, I, you know, I've been uh, in the accounting profession for about, I don't know, close to 30 years and, and um, uh, didn't necessarily think I was going to be a CPA when I started out. And it was one of those things that just kind of happened. And uh, I realized that being in this profession allows you to do a lot of different things. Uh, without having to do the same thing twice in a day a lot of times. And I like it appealed to me to be able to work with different companies, different size companies, companies that were at different stages of their growth cycle, uh, people who had different goals and objectives, uh, some people that wanted to grow their company and sell it, some people that wanted to uh, transition their company to the next generation, um, and uh, whether people were trying to add new locations or get bank financing. It just There's so many different things that we get to do in our day-to-day -day, uh, work life that uh, made it interesting and fun for me. And so that was what kind of kept me in the profession, what drew me into the profession and what kept me in the profession. And then the relationships that we build with, with people like you and, and, and the opportunity to get to know people on a personal level and, and just uh, you spend a lot of time over a number of years uh, working with someone and, and making friends. And that, for me, is a, a, a real bonus. Yeah, it definitely makes the tough financial conversations much easier with the relationship basis. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So what, it, what do you find when you're talking to clients, especially new ones, that something they're always missing, something that, you know, usually when somebody's starting a company, no matter what phase of the company is, once they're ready for that big tax planning or that big audit, you find yourself giving them recommendations as well. Like what is your favorite recommendation to give or something that you see a lot of companies missing from a founder level? Well, I think first and foremost is the, the plan. You know, um, a lot of people start a business with an idea of, you know, this is an idea I have, this is something I want to accomplish, but they don't necessarily have a really strong foundational business plan and where they want to go with it. Mm -hmm. um, they may have an idea of, well, I just want to get the doors open and hire some people and start, you know, produce a product. But what do they want to do after that? And when, where do we want to go? Where do we want to go? We need goals. We need to have a, a direction that we're headed uh, and then have uh, way stations along the way where we're, yeah. you know, benchmarking and Those fun checking, milestones, right? yeah, checking in and making mm -hmm. sure that we're, we're where we're supposed to be. And so, I think first and foremost, that's something that um, people don't necessarily take seriously enough is that business plan, that roadmap that's going to take them where they want to go. And 
that's one of the first conversations that I'll have with somebody is, well, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? What are you, what are you striving for? And that helps us to understand how we can do our job to help them get there. So uh, obviously, anytime we can add uh, economic value to a company at the beginning of a relationship is uh, a good place for us to be, uh, proves our worth. Um, so that's the one of the things that we're always trying to do. But I, I think helping people to understand that really we want to be their partner. We want to be that person that you call us and bounce ideas off of us to say, here's something that we're trying to accomplish. How can you help us get there? What, what, what can you bring to the equation? Or what mm -hmm. relationships do you have that you might be able to bring in to introduce to us that's going to help us get where we want to go? Yeah. And I know the company itself, um, over the last few years that we've known each other, the company has grown significantly. It started off big when we met, but, you know, you guys have so many different divisions from tax and audit and individual planning and R&D, which is my favorite topic. <laughs> but um, how do you find yourself uh, introducing all of these different aspects to clients? Let's say they just need tax services, and then eventually they're going to need all of these things. But do you, do you guys have a plan as to how you're introducing all of these sectors without scaring them? Because it's not an easy, easy world out there. Yeah, I think strategically it does make sense first to, to build a relationship. We have to trust each other first to understand what's important to you. Once I understand that and there's a, a, a mutual trust, like any relationship, there right. has to be trust. And and so once that trust exists, it's much easier to introduce new ideas or concepts into the relationship so that uh, anyone understands we're here to help. We're not here to, to sell something more to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, we're here to help solve problems. And um, sometimes solving those problems puts money in their pocket. Sometimes it helps them to be able to make that hire or to get that loan that they're trying to buy, that equipment that they need to buy that building, whatever the plan is that, that they need. Um, and, you know, we don't want to rush in and make a suggestion of here's 20 things that someone can do because that can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always start with what's your goal? What do you really want? And we start with that. And then once we identify how do we solve that problem, then we can start looking at other areas where we can add value. And, and I think that's the way any relationship like this should be in that, you know, as long as you know we're focused on you and what's important to you, then you're going to understand that if we introduce something else along the way that we're concerned about you and your interests. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I've definitely seen all of that. <laughs> we appreciate that. So um, tell me this. I, when I was, you know, back in the day in the big four, it was a very in-person environment, you know, and then a lot of hires and everybody goes up at the same time. And, you know, there's a two year and a five year and a 10 year mark. Um, how has all of this changed after COVID nowadays with technology evolving? Do you see any changes? Oh, for sure there's changes. And it's a challenge for everybody in business today. How do we engage with people? How do we make sure that they're getting, um, you know, on, on the employer-employee relationship, how are they getting what they need in the relationship? You know, we as employers are always going to figure out how do we solve our business problems to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our clients and customers. Mm -hmm. um, because if, if we don't do that, we're not going to have any clients and customers. Um, but at the same time, we have to have people to deliver those services. And so it's uh, the squeeze between making sure that we're taking care of 
what needs to be taken care of on the customer service side and also making sure that we're taken care of on the employee engagement side uh, means that we're spending a lot more time to try and make sure what, what used to be easy, what used to just happen organically, hey, let's get lunch, let's, you know, we've got a meeting scheduled, we, we plan things. Now it's more purposeful, especially uh, the last several years, you know, since 2020. Um, we worked very hard, and, and I say we, the, the industry business in general, worked hard to, to have that engagement with, uh, with people and, and planned events, uh, brought in food to try and get people into the office, to give them reasons to be in the office. I started something uh, about a year ago uh, called Power Skills, and essentially I thought, you know, how do we add some value to the relationship with our younger staff that gives them something that they don't have, that gives them a, a reason to be in the office, to, to give them something that helps them on their career path. And so the, the Power Skills is, is kind of a monthly uh, in-person training that, that we do. We, you know, sometimes might bring in an outside person to do the training, but generally we'll do it internally. It, it's a it's a development opportunity for someone that's doing the training as well as for the young people that are, are learning. Um, so we've done networking, we've done health and wellness, we've done personal branding, um, business development, uh, leadership and accountability is what we're doing next month. So, so we're trying to do things that maybe when people get out of school, uh, and they don't have all the skills that they might need for their professional career to give them some opportunities for not only engagement, but for career development. Um, and I think that's been a, a good way to, to add to the relationship and the engagement um, and uh, hopefully uh, get people excited to be in the office and be around each other. Yeah. Speaking of schools, um, do you guys recruit directly out of universities now? We do. We do. Very nice. So Any specific ones? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll tell you that uh, we do a lot of recruiting out of uh, Cal Poly, Cal State Northridge, USC, uh, Cal State Long Beach. Um, you know, I, uh, I would say that we probably recruit the most out of Cal State Northridge. Okay. Um, so uh, great, great programs all, and, and I think that, uh, you know, I have found that – uh, some of the best people that we get in our profession are the people who have worked their way through school. Um, primarily, they 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 demonstrate that they're willing what they're willing to do to enhance their career and grow their career, and that that work ethic. Um, it, so so uh, I've just found that in in the programs that we work within, Cal State Northridge seems to produce a lot of those kids that are really hardworking and super smart and, and really want to, uh, to progress. Not to say that we don't find those people everywhere, but uh, I just think that that, that kind of bootstrap mentality is, is something that works really well in our industry. I like that. So I've also noticed that um, you know, your employee retention is really high. Like I'm still talking to the same people that I met five, six years ago. Uh, and they've stayed on the account. And if, even if they haven't, they have an amazing way of just retaining relationship with their clients or prior clients even. You know, we love spending time with them. So obviously whatever you're doing in the office remotely, whatever you've implemented is definitely working. Uh, how do you compare that to competitors out there? Um, you know, I think all of the, the people in our industry work really hard to 
identify good candidates that have the values that are consistent with the values of the firm. And I think if we do a good job of that, then that's not a reason that people would leave. And I think that a lot of times that is where there's a misfit or a mismatch on values mm -hmm. where things can go wrong. And so um, we try and get that right up front. We try and make sure that we're clear on, on what our values are and then what uh, how that matches up with, with what the values are of the individual people coming through the firm. Yeah. Have you guys uh, implemented, you know, software that helps prioritize or make the job easier from an internal perspective in the past few years? Sure. We've invested a great deal in trying to um, streamline processes, uh, developing software internally that, that gets different software solutions that we use to talk to each other. Um, you know, I think that uh, that brings up a whole new topic of AI and how that uh, comes into um, uh, the equation for people in our profession and, and understanding the, the parameters, how and when we should use that and um, putting some guardrails around the use of, of artificial intelligence. It certainly has its place. There's going to be best practices. We have a committee that meets monthly to talk about you know, how we should be using it. And, and I think that the profession in general is getting it, its arms around AI, probably the world in general is <laughs> a better better response to that. But we're all looking at that and, and we all understand that it is going to be an iterative process that's moving quickly. Um, and uh, that can be exciting, but also can be a little bit scary. I agree. Uh, I think most people don't associate AI and, you know, taxes together and, and considering that this is a very service-based industry, you also want to be careful how much technology you introduce to clients all of a sudden, right? Because they're just so used to having that conversation, looking at those spreadsheets, printing it out, jotting on the lines, on the sidelines, uh, and brainstorming. And so when you introduce technology, it can be a little bit scary because um, financials are already difficult to understand, so let alone... Well, I think that consultative process is always going to exist. Yeah. We're always going to need... Uh, people that can help interpret information, um, what it's telling us. We may be able to produce information a lot easier today than we could five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And, you know, in another year or two, it's going to be even easier still. But understanding what that information is telling us, um, you know, any one of us that are complete uh, novices when it comes to maybe uh, – riding on an airplane. We can sit in the cockpit of an airplane and there's all that information in there, but we don't know what to do with it if we don't have right. that expertise. Of so I think that um, it's important for people to understand that we'll always need that role. We're always going to need the role of someone to, to interpret the information that we have in front of us. I like that. Um, so, you know, in terms of your life, you know, you're managing so much and so many departments as CEO of the company. Um, and you have triplets and another one. You have four kids, and they're in college. I understand. How did you get here with, you know, life and with, with a lot of help? <laughs> with a lot of help. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by wonderful people. You know, at home, I have an amazing wife who uh, is incredible and, and has run our household uh, and, and done an amazing job with our kids and and. Uh, so it's that's a partnership. You know, we work together at home 
to to do our best to to raise our family um, at work uh, I've been fortunate to work with amazing people and and um, you know the opportunity that I'm in now was because of all the people that were ahead of me that that allowed me the opportunity to grow into the position that I'm in that mentored me that trained me um, and gave me the opportunity to 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 learn yeah and it sounds like you've instilled some of those values in the company as well um, yeah I mean I, I think that's part of our culture and and uh, I think if you have a great foundation to start with it's pretty easy to to keep it going the idea is just not to to, to mess it up <laughs> yeah sounds good um, I don't mean to get too technical on the on the credit side I know it's a really big discussion nowadays things are happening everywhere R&D credit aside that's been around for a long time with some regulatory changes but you know are you hearing um, all of these credits that people can now buy and sell and yes. and it, it's such a comp like for me too it's such a complicated topic I hear it and it makes sense for five seconds and all of a sudden it just disappears from my head yeah, so, so uh, it's funny. We had a conversation about this today. Um, it's coming. Uh, there's some, some potential mar marketplaces for these credits. We're actually yeah. talking about creating one. Um, and uh, the, the biggest challenge will be uh, matching up the supply of the credits with the, the demand of the buyers of credits. And, yes. and uh, you know, certainly... Those people who have passive income or C corporations are primarily the beneficiaries of being able to buy credits. Uh, organizations that maybe uh, receive solar or energy-based credits that can't use the credits. So if you think about real estate investment trusts mm -hmm. and people like that, that's going to be the marketplace for the supply. And then um, high net worth individuals with uh, large passive income will be the consumers. Certainly, the Fortune 500 are going to be consumers, and you know we're as part of this conversation we're having today. I imagine that the appetite that the Fortune 500 have for these credits, they could probably buy up the whole market. Um, the 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 opportunity will be in that some smaller producers of credits uh, will be too small for the Fortune 500 to be interested in buying a hundred thousand dollars worth of credits. Right. They're going to want to buy. $50 million or $100 million worth of credits at a time. So for the middle market or small market uh, uh, taxpayer, that will make it uh, uh, more possible for them to participate in the purchase of credit. So mm -hmm. uh, for the average taxpayer that's a W-2 employee, not something that, that it really will apply to. Right. But those ultra high net worth folks, family offices, uh, uh middle market companies that are C corporations that pay a lot of tax will potentially be able to participate um, in, in that. And, and, you know, so what that looks like is maybe uh, uh, a five or a 10% uh, uh, discount on the purchase of a credit. Mm -hmm. So paying 90 cents to offset a dollar's worth of tax, which is uh, significant. If you're paying a lot in tax, you can right. make a, a pretty good uh, transaction. It's a, it's a one-time purchase opportunity, right? Well, I mean, it could be each year you could go back and buy more credits to, to offset your Fair your enough. tax for the following year. Got it. Okay. And uh, do you find that the, the structure of the company, whether it's a C or an LLC or an S, does that actually make an impact on what type of a structure can purchase the credit? Yes. Yeah, so, so 
it's either at the individual level or it's at the C-Corp level. It, it really would not apply because the past serenity is like an LLC or an S-Corp. And sorry, people, we're now starting to geek out on really technical <laughs> I, I told stuff. you we're going to nerd out yeah, on it. <laughs> um, those are passed through and those taxes are paid at the individual level. So that would mean then that the buyer of the credit would have to be an individual instead of the LLC or the... Right the S-Corp itself. Yeah. See, this is proof that it doesn't matter if you're a CPA, like you constantly have to be on top of it learning. And, and the CPA credits don't really, you know, complete the learning experience of everything that happens over a one-year or two-year period. So uh, what, what, what tools are you guys using to keep everybody up to date on these things? Um, so, you know, we have a variety of learning programs that yeah. um, for continuing professional education we're required to have 80 hours every two years, but I think on average most CPAs get way more than that just because uh, keeping up with the latest information that's coming out of Washington, D.C. on new tax laws that are passed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the last several years, we really only get about one uh, a bill a year that has tax legislation in it just because it's so hard to pass laws these days at the federal level. But um, I think that, uh, you know, we have people with a variety of interests. We have different, within our organizational structure, different committees that are specialized in different areas. So those people are constantly looking for uh, what impact there might be as it relates to legislative or, or compliance-related uh, changes uh, or, or just market changes around, you know, mm -hmm. something that might impact a particular area or enterprise. Okay. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> One bill at a time is, is easy to digest. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly we, uh, we have structure around that where people can go out and seek out areas that they're interested in that, uh, you know, maybe it's international taxation, right. what's going on there. And so... Uh, they have access to a, uh, a large pool of resources that they can, you know, dip into and, and learn. And then we go to a lot of conferences, whether it's through the AICPA, California Society of CPAs, or, or any number of other organizations that, that meet uh, throughout the year to talk about new emerging issues, best practices, and so forth. Nice. Okay. Um, aside from software, because I know you guys deal with software, what, what other industries do you mostly operate on? Um, a lot of real estate, a lot of manufacturing technology, uh, as you mentioned, um, hospitality, um, service industries. We get, we get you know, I, I think uh, most larger firms have a pretty big cross-section because the, the more clients you have, the more services you need to offer in order to to, to reach the marketplace, so. Yeah. So when you're not instilling values in the company, coming up with processes, dealing with taxes and audits and consulting and planning, what do you do for fun, Jason? Ah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like to play golf. I like to, I like to be outdoors. I like to, to spend time, whether it's hiking or walking or biking down at the beach. Um, you know, spend time with friends, family. You know, family, like I said, is pretty important, so. Anytime I can get with the family, I like to do that. I like to travel. Um, I'm a volunteer board member on a couple of, of nonprofit organizations. I've been involved in the Tournament of Roses for 30-plus years and and uh, actually will be president in 2030. So uh, don't make plans for New Year's Day 2030. Okay. <laughs> 
noted. Cool. Um, well, I usually I'm gonna thank you for coming, but I usually end the the podcast with a riddle. But considering my guest, I'm actually gonna end it with a math question. Uh, you can't answer it live, so we'll we'll answer it offline. Okay. Because uh, I like the viewers to also answer it. So my math question is: What is seventeen divided by half? And um, before anybody answers, I'm going to say thank you, Jason, again for being my guest today. And thank you for watching Level Up with Lilith. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.